Good morning. Our scripture reading today is a combined gospel reading of Luke 11, 1 through 4, and Matthew 6, 9 through 13. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks for your patience with the technology. Hopefully it sticks with us. If it doesn't, you can listen along. Okay, so this has happened to me a few times now. Uh, not the technology. But when I head out the back door of my row home to take out the trash, I'll hear a voice saying, hey, how's it going? No, I'm not going crazy. I don't hear this from God. It's actually the voice of my neighbor over the fence. And I'll answer. And then I'll hear him reply saying, yeah, how did your last meeting go? Did you get the contract? At that point, I realize he's not talking to me. He's on the phone because he works from home and he's catching up on his sales calls with his team. And if I didn't know him and I didn't know what he did for work and I didn't know that he actually likes to hang out in his backyard with his earbuds in talking on the phone all day, I would, it wouldn't make any sense to me. I, we, I think that he's experiencing some disconnection from reality. I'm experiencing some disconnection from reality. Knowing who's on the other end of the line makes a conversation meaningful. Prayer often is a lot like that for us. We're not always sure if we're, dis we're disconnected from reality, talking to some unknown person on the other end of the line, or we're, whether our conversations are actually making a difference for us. Knowing who's on the other end of the line is what makes the conversation meaningful. In fact, it's the entire point of prayer in the Christian faith. Prayer is really about knowing and enjoying God. Here's the thing. For most of us, including myself, we have this fraught relationship with prayer. We rarely feel like we're praying enough. At least I do. Or maybe we don't feel like we're praying the right kinds of prayers. Our prayers sometimes feel disconnected and dry. We feel like the words we say aren't really that impressive compared to the others that we pray with. We feel like maybe we're selfish with our prayers because it's always a long list of requests that we come before God with. Treating God like this cosmic Santa Claus. Or we just feel like we've prayed the same thing over and over again and God doesn't really seem to be answering. Or we just are bored. <laughs> Does that sound familiar to any of you in your prayer life? You don't have to nod your head to reveal it, but unless it's okay. Most of the time, prayer for us is what spiritual writer Robert Mulholland calls worrying in God's general direction. We just kind of take our prayers and thoughts and throw them towards God, kind of like dirty clothes towards the hamper. Let's hope that that lands. Prayer as a Jesus follower can be challenging. But let me put everyone at ease. Everyone is a beginner at prayer. Everyone is a beginner at prayer. Whether you're just on this beginning point of journeying with Jesus, or whether you're one of these people who is like 
popped out of your mother's womb straight into a baptismal tank, and you pray four hours a day every day. Everyone is a beginner at prayer. St. Teresa of Avila says this, when it comes to prayer, we're all beginners. We're all noobs at prayer. We'll never be masters at prayer. Spiritual writer Richard Foster says, who can ever master something in which the main purpose is to be mastered? How can you ever master something when the whole goal of it is to be mastered? We're all beginners at prayer. So be at ease. Take a deep breath. Through the month of February, as Neil uh, introduced to us at the beginning of the service, we're going to take a pause in our Gospel of Luke sermon series to wade deeper into this practice of prayer together as a faith community. Now, we can acknowledge our challenges in our prayer life, in this practice, but we don't have to just be aspirational with prayer. Though we can, we're all beginners, we can actually practice it. Most of the time, I think, if you're like me, our schedules, calls from our kids or demands from our kids, they distract us from prayer. And when we do get a moment to ourselves, what's the first thing we do? Check our social media. Press all the notifications from your games that you're playing. Prayer is a practice that we actually can practice. So I invite you not only just to listen in on Sundays, but to join together in this practice with your small group or hop online with Jess as she's leading an online group in the coming weeks. And if you, if you, can't, even do, if you can't do that, then there's a prayer guide that you can download. There's a digital version. And I have an extra copy for hard copy if anyone it's a free one, it's an extra one. So if you want to come and ask me for it, you can take it if you prefer prayer, uh, hard copies. So today, we're going to take the first step in this practice of prayer. And to understand prayer is simply talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. So Luke 11 opens with this statement. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. The disciples had seen Jesus up until this point, and he regular, that he regularly withdrew himself to go and pray. We're told that in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 6, we're told he goes to a mountainside to pray overnight. And he invites James and Peter and John to come and pray with him on that mountain. And with these observations, they've been watching their rabbi, their master, their teacher. The disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. But think about it. If you're in their shoes, up until this point, what have you seen Jesus do? He's raised the dead. He's healed the sick. He's uh, preached up a storm. He, he lifts up the down and out, and he challenges the ups and ins. He's, they've seen all of these things, but what's the one thing they ask? They don't ask Jesus to teach them how to do those things. They ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And maybe they don't consciously know exactly what he's doing when he's praying, but they've seen that Jesus really enjoys spending time with the Father. And they see how his outer activity, all the spectacular stuff, is actually informed by a deep inner activity in God's presence. And maybe that's the first step for us. That's the first prayer that we can pray, is Lord, teach us to pray. In fact, maybe you can do that right now. You don't have to say it out loud, but in the quiet of your heart, say, Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach us at WCF how to pray. 
So with that request, Jesus answered with what is known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, this prayer is more than just a liturgy. It's more than just this fast food, door dash, drop off prayer for your, at your door. This prayer describes a way of coming before the living God. And we see that for Jesus, prayer is not just a list of requests. Prayer isn't just worrying in God's general direction. Prayer isn't just a dump of your emotions. Of course, God receives all of those from us. But when Jesus introduces the Lord's Prayer, he's saying, this is an orientation towards God, of our relationship with him. So take a look at this first half. We're going to spend today looking at the first half of the Lord's Prayer and how it might inform how we talk to God. So here it is on the screen. It's got the original Greek with the English translation overlaid on top of it. Now, it's kind of strange, right, because of the order. Biblical Greek is not the same as English, the English language, where the word order is not required for you to understand the role of the word in the sentence. So you can mix and match the word in a sentence to get the meaning of it, because it conveys it in different ways. But the strength in the way this language works is that the word order can suggest a priority or a parallelism that the writer intends to convey to us. So we're going to get to this in a moment, so we'll come back to this. But Jesus begins with the statement, our Father, and he teaches, when he teaches his disciples to pray. Not God, not Lord, not Mighty One, not Creator. And those are all true of the living God. But Jesus chooses Father. And we know from Mark chapter 14, when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he goes to the cross, he adds, Abba, Father, which suggests some sort of uh, pattern that Jesus related to God with. Now, this full acknowledgement here, the living God is beyond categories of human gender. And the use of the personal pronoun is one limitation of using human language to express who God is. And additionally, we run into this challenge of overlaying what we perceive to be masculine and feminine and the roles that are associated. And that depends on the culture we live in and the time period we live in. So unless we're going to use dashes or changing pronouns every single time for God, maybe I suggest that the best way to go about this is to use this preferred pronoun for God and follow Jesus' example in how he chooses to address God the Father. Language will always have its limits in conveying who who God is because God transcends our sexuality, our understandings of sexuality. And using the masculine pronoun for God does not mean that God is masculine and that God is not feminine. In fact, Jesus' use of Abba, Father, this Abba is the Aramaic term for Father, was a novel introduction at the time. It conveyed a sense of intimacy and nurture and care that most Jews would not have thought and associated with Jehovah God. So it's an inclusive use of Abba. And it may best be translated in our modern English as Daddy or Opa for some of us in our, you know, uh, languages. And for me, it's Abba or Baba in Chinese. Jesus' use of Abba was an extremely inclusive action for his time rather than an exclusive one that we might believe it to be. 
And in doing so, he's revealing that our relationship with God involves not only the empowerment and the strength that is often associated with the masculine figure, but also this nurture and caring intimacy that is often associated with feminine figures. The father that Jesus conveys to us is way more feminine and way more motherly than our Western conception of what a father is like. So can we approach God with other images and pronouns and call God mother or parent? Of course. God loves to hear his children call out to him, and he always recognizes our sincere cries wherever we're at. But as we get to know the character of God, and as God forms us and as God heals us, we can find ourselves calling upon God in the way that God has been revealed to us without the filter of these false and broken images that we might have of God in the gender roles that we have in our minds. We can encounter the living God of love. Like a mother towards her infant is God's tender compassion towards us. Abba Father sees us first with this kind of motherly compassion, delight and tenderness and care. Think about it. Before an infant has learned how to speak, the mother will respond to their child because she loves her child. The infant does all the reaching in whatever way the infant knows how to reach, with cooing, with whinging, with shrieking, with reaching limbs, with rolling around on the floor and in the crib. That's the child's expression. But it's the mother that recognizes cry of the child and does all of the bridging of the distance to get to the child because of love. That's how the Heavenly Father is towards us as his children. Jesuit priest Mark Thibodeau says this, to reach for God is to reach God. To reach for God is to reach God. So when we, we can trust that as we reach towards God, calling Abba Father or whatever way that we begin to reach out to God, God will come. Just reach out. Just start talking to God, Abba Father. Okay, we spent a bit of time on the first phrase, but we'll get through these next three pretty quickly. So our Father in heaven. What's Jesus trying to teach us here? The second phrase here is in heaven. And when we read in heaven, in our minds, maybe we think of this image of a bearded guy sitting up in heaven wearing a white robe far away from us and we only get to see that person when we die. But in the original Greek, the word here is uranos and it's actually in the plural form. So in the heavens or maybe literally in the air. Abba Father is in the air. But think about it. Where is the air? The air is up there. The air is right here. The air is touching your skin. The air is coming into your lungs. The air is in your blood, flowing. What Jesus is trying to convey is that God is closer to us than our very own breath. God isn't the air. God isn't creation. But God is as close to us as the air. Third, hallowed be your name. This is a kind of a Interesting statement, because we don't use the word hollow. Maybe the closest association we have is Halloween, and that seems the farthest from God's presence. To hollow God's name means to revere and to delight 
in the character and in the holiness of God. Theologian N.T. Wright says it this way, Hallowed be your name might mean, may you be worshipped by your whole creation. May the whole cosmos resound with your praise. May the whole world be freed from injustice, disfigurement, sin, and death. When we're saying, hallowed be your name, we're saying that and much more. You know, for myself, I found this logical connection for myself. Okay, God, if God is holy, and that's God's character, and if holy means to be special or to be set apart and were to hallow God's name, then to hallow God's name is to make holy God's holy name. So I think of it this way. God, holify your holiness. That makes sense. Holify. That means make everything that's special about you, God, that no one else is like, your incomparable love, your eminent beauty, your unchanging truth, everything that's special about you, make it happen, God. Help me to see it. Help the world to see it. That's what we're praying when we say, hallowed be your name. It reminds us that of this goal. First, we got to know and behold and enjoy the company of this God of love. You know, most of us come to prayer to get things from God, right? Pray for my career, pray for my health, pray for my mental health, pray for my relationships, pray for my circumstances, pray for my anxieties, pray for my shame, pray for when, when, I feel, uh, when my security is threatened. That's all fine. God loves to hear our cries. God loves us to reach out to, to God. But often that instinct is a, is a signal that we're looking for happiness apart from God. We're just going to get God to get what we think will make us happy. But the Lord, Lord's prayer reminds us, especially in this phrase, hallowed be your name, is simply the goal is to enjoy the beauty of God. And from there, we can't help but exp, invite the world into that joy of God and to experience the same beauty of God. And that's what we're saying when we pray, hallowed be your name. Lastly, when we pray, Abba, uh, Abba, Father, in the heavens, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying prayers that make a difference. The original language conveys these three requests as commands. Make holy your name. Come your kingdom. Be done your will. And the structure of the original language makes them parallel phrases reinforced by on earth as it is in heaven. So we could pray, make holy your name on earth as it is in heaven. Come your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Be done your will on earth as it is in heaven. There's a lot to unpack there. But let me just say this. God's kingdom is here as we sang, but it's not here quite yet. God's here is full, kingdom is fully in the realm where God is in the heavens, but it's not quite here yet in our realm. So we're saying in prayer, God, bend our reality in the direction of the good Father's intentions. Bend what we see in this world, what we think is real, in the direction of your good intentions for the world. There's another way that we can say it is through prayer, we're dragging the future 
into the present. We're dragging the future into the present when we say on earth as it is in heaven. Pause for a moment and consider Jesus' prayer and how we often pray to God. And we pray, the Lord's Prayer teaches us that God isn't some cosmic vending machine where you go up and press the buttons and then just something, if you press the right buttons and put in enough cash or credit that something drops out the bottom. God is this good Father who just wants to enjoy His children. The Father's arms are open wide and you are welcome to come in. God the Father is not far away up there. God is closer to us than our very own breath. And often the point of our prayer is to get something from God, but not to delight in God himself. God isn't just some therapist listening to our problems and coaching us through our anxieties to help us feel better. In prayer, God helps us see the world, helps us see ourselves, helps us see our problems through the lens of God's kingdom, not ours. That's what it means for us to talk to God when we pray the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. So how do we pray this way? You're listening, okay. So you're saying, Andrew, you're just saying, just repeat this prayer over and over again? When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he, you know, Luke says, the English translation says, when you pray, say this. Biblical scholar Scott McKnight says, um, expands this further, saying it can be translated, whenever you pray, recite this. Recite this prayer. Jesus literally is saying, pray these words. Now, this isn't new for the disciples because Jesus is tapping into this Jewish custom of praying, memorized, or pre-made prayers. In fact, when Jesus prays as he's on the cross, what he's doing? He's praying the Psalms. Jewish tradition is just praying the Psalms and all these traditions of prayer that have been passed down through generations. So, number one, praying as talking to God is simply praying pre-made prayers that someone else has written and passed on to us. That's maybe the first step for us to begin praying. We can find pre-made prayers all over the place. The Lord's Prayer is one of them. The Psalms is 150 prayers for us to pray. Those, the Psalms aren't just something for us to read. The Psalms are literally what we are to pray. We sang a song, Psalm 62, that was a prayer. We opened the service with a call to worship that was also a psalm, which was a prayer, which is a prayer. When we sing, we're also praying. Church Father Augustine said, to sing is to pray twice. How many of you like deals? I do. I like to double my result with one effort. So when you sing to God, you're doubling your prayer effect with one single effort. For some of you, is that enough for you to convince you to pray through singing? We can pray through liturgies. There's the Book of Common Prayer. There's the Liturgy of the Hours. There's daily office prayers. These are written prayers that are passed down to us in church tradition. And there's now even prayers that are on apps on your phone. You'll even get notifications and you tap it and then it tells you, pray this now. There's many different ways to pray prayers. When we talk to God by praying prayers that have been passed down to us, we actually learn how to pray. We're practicing prayer. These prayers give us the words to say before we even know that we need to say those words. They express, they give vocabulary to our longings and to our experience before 
we might experience them. And they keep us praying when we're too tired to muster up the energy to pray. So how do we pray? Just pray. Just pray. Pray as you can. Don't try to pray as you can't. Prayer is more practice than it is a theory. Pick a time, a location, and duration. Schedule an appointment regularly on your calendar thing. 15 minutes with JC, if that helps you. If you can't pray for an hour, then don't pray for an hour. Pray for 10 minutes. If you find yourself zoning out or falling asleep when you pray in a room, then don't pray in a room. Start by praying as you're walking. Start by praying as you run errands or when you're exercising. Can't concentrate when you're praying. If you're trying to pray aloud, well then, start journaling your thoughts and your prayers. Just pray as you can, not as you can't. Maybe it's sometimes we're in a place in our life where we can't pray prayers of adoration and of worship. Well, start practicing prayer by praying your complaints and your laments and your frustrations. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Prayer simply begins by talking to God. Pray as you can. And somewhere along the way, a discovery will take place. The Father's arms are open wide, and you are welcome to come in. The Father really loves you. And re revealing that love to you, that's on God's end. All your expectation to do is show up. Just pray. You know, as a child, I was probably, I guess I was about seven years old when I learned from my sister, who was in preschool at the time. She learned a prayer that went something like this. God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food. Amen. I still pray that prayer every day. I prayed it this morning at breakfast. I didn't understand it fully at the time, but it gave me the language and this routine to remember the importance of God in this relationship. And I've grown into the beauty and the marvel of these words of God is good. That's the first thing. God is great. I can trust. He's powerful. Thank you, God, for this food. Just pray. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Dip your toes further. Wherever you are at in this journey of the prayer practice, take one step further and begin prayer in prayer by just talking to God because the Father's arms are open wide and you are welcome to come in.